0: we Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On the show this week, the BBC is giving 700 staff a one-way ticket to the regions. How will that change the look and sound of the Beeb? We drill down into the details. Plus, Facebook has ended its feud in Australia, but what does that mean for UK news outlets? Also on the programme, the panel discusses where Piers Morgan might storm off to next, the headache his departure leaves for ITV and all the other fallout from the Harry and Meghan interview and in the media quiz we drive through a chicane of news in celebration of murray walker that's all to come in this edition of the media podcast and joining me today to discuss quite the fortnight in media news we have the md of folder media the co-founder of the british podcast awards and the head of fun kids radio psych they're all the same person it's matt deegan hi matt
2: Hey Ollie, nice to see you and hear you.
0: Yes, uh, the British Podcast Awards entries are underway. You've got a new conference in the works. Fun Kids have launched eight new radio stations this year. So my question for you, Matt, is what do you do to unwind? <laughs> uh,
2: just sit on the sofa and watch the telly like all normal people, hopefully.
0: Okay, so what What box sets are tickling the Deegans at the moment? Uh,
2: so uh, me and my partner have never watched Line of Duty. So we are going through Line of Duty from the beginning We've just started season three.
0: Here's the the man family's inside scoop on Line of Duty.
2: It's just a bit daft.
0: <laughs> it's, like, it's really, it's compelling if stuff like that happened, but it's just a bit silly, isn't it?
2: What I quite like about it is someone makes, I mean, this is in vague terms, often a small thing that isn't so bad, and then they end up killing everyone, (laughs) So, which is just like most people's time at work. You make a small error, and then you end up murdering all your colleagues.
0: Well, I couldn't think of a better segue into our other guest, Um, (laughs) a broadcaster who is quietly notching up as many podcasts as me, Jane Garvey. Hello, Jane. Welcome back.
1: Hello. uh, Yes, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. I I will probably like you to be on the sofa Sunday night once again, not understanding line of duty, but doggedly <laughs> sticking it out. Actually, something
0: you can help clear up for me since we're starting with softball questions this week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, the number one question about you on Google is Are Jane Garvey and Fee Glover friends? Can you give me the exclusive on that? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: thought it would be something a bit more interesting than that. <laughs> yeah, it's we're, disappointing. We're isn't it would at least Is she gay or is she, you know, is she an <laughs> yeah. alien or no? Um, um, no.
0: No, hate each other. Can't stand her. Can't stand her. That's what I thought, just to be clear. Good, good. glad we cleared but, that
1: up. But we are writing a book together. Might as well get that in. Quick plug for that.
0: Also, uh, last time you were on the show, Jane, um, you learned from me reading out the BBC press release what was going to be in your new Radio 4 show.
1: Yes, that <laughs> was the one starts... where I was going to be interviewing interesting people.
0: Interesting people, that's, that's right. It. None of those boring people. <laughs> uh It does now start on April the 7th, I understand. So perhaps this time you can tell us what it's actually about.
1: Yes, I can even tell you the name. I've got to get, I'm not sure I've got the intonation right or even how the intonation should be. Um, It's called Life Changing.
0: Is it about life changes?
1: It is, yes. It's about people taking me through a moment in their life which has changed. Either the course of their life or the way they live their life. Yes, it's, um, I'm enjoying it actually. It's very different because obviously it's not live. Um, I've got the luxury of time. So I'm, I pity the poor beggars who've got to edit these interviews. But anyway, it's not me. So what do I care? (laughs) Um, so we're, we're, well, at least I am really enjoying spending over an hour talking to people and then not having to worry about editing it. So I, I, it's, it's some, we've had some really cracking stories so far, actually. So I hope people enjoy it. And the idea is that um, when people listen, we hope that they'll think, oh, I'd like to be on that show. I've got a story I could tell. And then it will just have have a life of its own. Mm. That's that's the hope. Yeah. So
0: it's not necessarily people that have changed their minds about something. It's just no. a pivotal moment in someone's life.
1: Yeah, I just want people to listen to the first, we're going to do seven. Um, and then I want people to listen to those and think, yeah, I very, that's that's me. I've got something to say there. So the ones I've recorded so far have included um, some terrible, real tragedy and, and fantastic courage in recovery from family tragedy and life incidents in general. And then there's one, for example, with, with a man who just discovered that his birth father was nothing like the person that he thought he would be. And it turns out he isn't the person... He ever thought he was just just things like that. So, um,
0: and have you done any of them in person or has it all been over Zoom because of Covid?
1: I have done two in person, yes, which, it's by easier, the way, I'm um, so much prefer. Yeah, yeah. although I, I've done the other two, um, looking you know on Zoom, so like we're talking now, and actually, that is an improvement on talking on a studio quality line to somebody. You know, even seeing somebody on Zoom and being able to talk to them is. I I think infinitely preferable to old school radio interviews.
0: You know, actually, just the simple thing. I mean, actually, just whilst you were talking to me then, I nodded at you. I mean, the it fact you helped, can do that, helps. give yeah. someone a visual cue without so talking over them.
1: Gentle encouragement always helps, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. Well, talking about life changing, uh, there are some big changes in line for BBC staff. So let's start with that huge story this week. Uh, All BBC staff were treated to a big reveal by the Director-General, Tim Davie, on Thursday. Not the new Line of Duty trailer, although, bizarrely, they were shown that afterwards as part of the same presentation. Uh, But the news is, in fact, that large swathes of them, production, staff and money, are going to be leaving London for the regions. Taken together, the BBC say they will spend at least an extra £700 million outside London by 2027-28. Um... Let's just go through the list bit by bit so that we've covered this from a news standpoint, so bear with me. Deep breath. News and current affairs programmes like BBC Two's Newsnight will be presented from different UK bases throughout the year. Radio Four's flagship Today programme will be co-presented from outside London for at least 100 episodes a year. Key daytime strands on Radio One, One Extra and Radio Two will be moved from London and made across the UK. Radio Three will be rooted in Salford. Rooted, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Along with the majority of Six Music. Radio 1's Newsbeat team will relocate to Birmingham, which will also be the base for the Asian network. BBC News's climate and science team will move to Cardiff. The technology team will move to Glasgow. A new generation of 100 new reporters will be based in towns and areas that have never had a regional TV presence. And the BBC concert orchestra and some proms will leave London as well. Matt, you know, we do a prediction special on this show every year. I know there was some gossip this week about this, but no one said, you know what's going to happen round about March time? they're going to invest 700 million pounds all over Britain. So this was sort of not predictive.
2: Uh, no, I think like anything, when you think about it, and I think Tim Davies probably playing quite a clever game in being relatively aligned with some of the government's objectives at the same time, you could probably, you could have probably worked out that some of this was coming. Uh, I think it's, I think you can have two, two thoughts in your head, you can uh, in one point go, this is a, it's a good idea to move, uh, chunks of the BBC to other locations. And you can feel sad for the people who are going to have their lives shaken up by, by, by the changes. Um, I think it's bigger than, uh, people maybe expected. And sometimes there's always the view that it was just small elements or things they could just go, Oh, that's over there, but it's not really over there. And you know, moving pretty much the whole newsbeat team and Asian network up to Birmingham is significant. Uh, some of the specialisms in BBC News is significant. I'm interested in what rooted means. Uh, the six, mu- uh, six music they've said is going to happen over a, a period of time, and quite a lot of a decent chunk of six music already is in Salford. Um, they said that a show is going to move, a daytime show of Radio One, One Extra, and Radio Two will move outside of the UK. Does that mean Ken Bruce will firmly stay in his home where he's been broadcasting from for the last year, or uh, move into to BBC? It's BBC Glasgow. Well,
0: I wonder if that point is prescient, Jane, whether COVID has meant that it's sort of easier to make this announcement because, you know, if there are people working from home currently, they might as well go into their regional hub when they go back to an office rather than be aged.
1: Just on the more human side of it, I think from what I can gather, people working from home have taken the news really hard today because they're not with their colleagues. So it's it's tough, you know, if you're... And men, let's face it, the last year has been really hard for everybody. And I think some people today have felt really isolated and upset and in need of that office camaraderie to see them through. So, so just a word about that. It must have been really horrible, actually. Um, but yes, you're right. I'm afraid this, this year has changed everything. It has changed everything about how the BBC probably can now, can now see its future. It can see a different way of working because it has been possible for the last year to... I mean, honestly, can most listeners and viewers tell that Broadcasting House is barely occupied um I don't suppose they can in all truth can they um and so that's there that just I'm afraid starts a whole shed load of conversations I think I'd also it Newsbeat I think is really important because it's a gateway it's like it's a and they do such brilliant stuff and actually they always have done and I think there's always been a slight thought that maybe Newsbeat was just not it was always always too much of an afterthought and, and slightly forgotten by the bosses when actually it should never be that. So I really hope that them going to Birmingham, which you know, which is a great place, isn't a negative. Asian network's an odd one because it started off in Leicester, didn't it? Then it moved to London. Now <laughs> yeah. it's going to Birmingham. I mean make your mind up uh, I don't know that strikes me as being perhaps not a very good step, but I I'm, I I don't know. This is all just off the top of my head. And um, I, I, it always seems to me that they slightly twiddle around the edges. Why not send the whole of Radio 2 out of London? Because actually there's no reason at all for Radio 2 to be in London. Is there? What, why should it be? What do you think, Matt? Uh,
2: I suppose there's... The, the view that everyone always says, which I think COVID has probably proved is incorrect, is, oh, guests, you know, it's it's where politics is or it's where entertainment is. Uh, but I think that's probably less relevant anymore. And, and getting someone into into BH that can be picked up at the other end at, um, in Birmingham or Salford is, is pretty simple and happens, happens more often. Really?
0: I mean, does it make any sense to present Newsnight from Cardiff? I mean, really? I mean, unless you've got a story that is about Wales, why would the Newsnight guests, apart from the odd academic who happens to be based there, be in Cardiff? They won't be, will they? So they'll be down the line.
2: I think there's partly a thing about production teams versus talents. It's very easy to probably pop someone in a Cardiff studio, get some local Cardiff people to turn on the cameras, and then basically it's just the same show from, from London. Uh, I think there's something interesting in in where people are and this kind of COVID working from home about, you know, where your true base is, you know, are we going back to five days anyway? You know, can my job move from London to Birmingham and actually, okay, it's a bit further and a bit annoying if I need to go up there a day a week, but I was only going to go into London a day a week. What's that shift? Because I think there is some real value in in working from home. And I've seen some, some studies about, there's some really good research into people's happiness And providing you have an okay place to work at home and you're not sort of on the sofa, you are happier than if you are in work. And that's for everyone except under 30s, because under 30s get a disproportionate amount of value from being in an office with a colleague because they meet partners and friends and have a drink and all of that stuff. But the other bit is if you're disabled or you're from some minorities working from home, can be uh much easier for you and you can feel much more confident about work and that can shift as well so is it that we're moving everybody physically into five day a week locations or can everything be a bit be a bit more loose
0: i mean all of that sort of suggests that people have a choice though i mean jane i was looking at this tweet from rory Kathleen jones who's part of the bbc tech team who've just been told they're going to glasgow
1: he's he's upset isn't he and i don't and i don't blame him
0: yeah he says a bit of a tricky day for us on the bbc tech team having been told we had to move to glasgow it's a great city but many of us are not at the stage in life where we can uproot our families i mean that's just true for a lot of people isn't it
1: it is true for a lot of people and that's right i think um we we, we do differ i'm sure there are some people who will happily never set foot in an office place again office space again um, and it—I don't think it's just people under thirty who value the workplace. I think there are a lot of there are a lot of single people who work at the BBC at various stages of their life, and it's hard to move with your family. I, I absolutely get that. I, I would also suggest it's probably even harder to to move to the other end of the country as a, as a single person. You're, you're asking a lot of people, and of course, by the way, you mentioned the line of duty trail. My understanding is that it was actually shown in the middle of the presentation this morning, and you know what? I think they could have thought about that, really. Because I think sometimes senior management figures, um, I mean, they love me, so I can say what I like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally nothing left to lose. But I, I think maybe sometimes they, um, they're they on big salaries, most of these people, um, and they just need to be a little bit more aware of the impact of what they're saying on people earning 37 grand a year, or whatever it might be, uh, for whom this is really life-changing stuff and and with implications for every aspect of the rest of their lives and um, it's it's just asking a lot of people and also I, I it does get to you that so much of this is leaked to the papers the day before you know so there was stuff in the Guardian stuff in the Times um, it's just not. It's, I don't think it's a really good way of or a very fair way of operating well of course that's all
0: supposing that the real audience were the BBC staffers that were being spoken to but but it's it's not the real audience the real audience is the government isn't
1: it and and you were right uh, or or, sorry Matt was right that Tim Davies got a colossal job on his hands here and I, I do get that and I think some of this is is right um it's we do I mean I think the BBC is still recovering from the sense that it just wasn't it was so caught unawares by what happened in the referendum in 2016. And it's almost like it's we're in a permanent battle to try and make up ground for that. I, mean, I think some of this stuff is really good. I'm a bit vague as to whether it... So the Today programme means maybe... Are we they suggesting that twice a week there'll be a presenter... In another studio, not in London. Well,
2: was was this was this Amol? You're joining the Today (laughs) programme. That's the good news. Now, here's your
1: train ticket to Hull. Yeah, you'll love that. Is that is that what's going to happen? And also, what value additional value does the listener get if someone's just in another studio? You could, I mean, so many of the I think some of the Today presenters are working from home anyway. Mm. Um, So I'm not really unless it means that if say Amol or or Martha uh, they're in Hull. Um, does that mean that they'll be shoehorned into the running order, a story about Hull that otherwise would never have got close to the national news? It doesn't. Well, is that sensible? I'm not sure it is.
0: I mean, but back to my point about the government, Mad from the BBC's point of view, from Tim Davies point of view, will this strengthen his hand as he renegotiates the licence fee, which, you know, is from 2022 next year?
2: all license fee negotiations are about a hundred simultaneous conversations and there's little wins here and little losses there and the government's always grumpy whichever flavor it is when it wants to renegotiate and as if you've got enough points your side then you can get some things through that uh maybe you wouldn't have had to have, you wouldn't have been able to have done before uh and being th- this is this is obviously helpful in, in those discussions. Now, it's not transformative and it's not going to, you know, make the right wing headbangers go, oh, yes, the BBC is a good thing after all. Um, but it does help. It does help with with those chats.
0: I do wonder as well, Jane, whether if some of the older journalists don't want to uproot their families and move. And after all, the BBC has just downsized a whole load of its local investigations teams from inside out all over the country. But, uh, which uh, this also is the
1: weird thing. So this is this was in July of last year, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, that they made that decision.
0: Which, well, I'm just I'm just putting this out there. It's a bit of a conspiracy theory, but that would also have included some veteran journalists, wouldn't it? Younger people are going to be taking these positions, and they're cheaper.
2: Uh, I think that there is a cost saving element in all this as well. You know, being outside of London, I mean. Uh, in the old days, the whole thing about shutting down buildings is is the most cost effective. And there isn't actually a lot of buildings left to shut down, uh, but moving people into different places um, can help longer term with with budgets. Short term, it won't make a difference because you've got to do uh, relocation pay or redundancy or, or all those things. I think the other thing that it shows is Tim Davey is making some bigger decisions relatively quick that were very different to what went before. Yeah. Um, and uh this is this is one of those um you know restructuring of, of the telly stuff restructuring of some of the radio stuff as well um you know this is this is new decisions at the top
0: how do you think the experience of your ex-colleagues at five live jane might inform what we think about this i mean what, what do you think 10 years on of the salford experiment
1: it's interesting because i i, I left five Live. Probably because I didn't fancy going to Salford, if, if I'm honest. Not, I mean, I'm from the northwest, so that it wasn't that that was the reason. It just wouldn't have suited my family life at the time. So, you know, I'm very conscious of that. Um, I actually think now it's all settled down. I know lots of people who went with Five Live and made very interesting and happy lives um, in in that area, um, and also, of course purely practical. Property prices are lower. They were able to perhaps buy a house far, far sooner than they would have been able to in London. Or maybe they might have been able to have a flat in London after 25 years, but could never have ever dreamt of having a house. That is probably better there. Um, Schools are great. Um, And I think it pays off in the sense that I listen to Five Live a lot. And I, I do get the sense that it's somewhere other than London, Although I also know that there are some five live presenters who don't go to Salford so um and that I wonder whether you know you mentioned that some of six music is going i I very much doubt whether all of it will and I don't know. It's, you just get, you occasionally get a reference on Five Live, more than occasionally, and it's good to um, Manchester or to the area immediately near Media City in Salford. And it, it makes it distinctive and it makes it different because there's far too many references to Regent Street, you know, if you listen to um, a lot of radio from W1A. Um, and it, it's a bit of it can be a bit of a cringe, I think.
2: I think also there's a difference between short and medium-term effects. So short-term, yes, there's a lot of trains and people not really moving. But actually the medium-term effect is that as people leave, who's employed is actually local and regional talent, when Channel 4 moved to to Leeds, 90% chose not to move. And that meant that a lot of people in that region got employed to work for Channel 4. So I think for changing the BBC and its outlook, you can't just pick up some London people and drop them in a new place. It has to be local people going into those roles eventually uh, as well.
0: Also be interesting to see what happens with these new soaps. I mean, I imagine there'll be more like Holby City style serial dramas from around the UK, but if they're soaps, that's quietly the BBC's first soap commission since El Dorado, isn't it? What could go wrong?
1: What's it going to be called? E-by-Gum Street. (laughs) Cracking. I think that one's already on ITV, isn't it? I'm just, I'm worried that... um, that, that I'm now, well, no, I'm not worried. I'm conscious that I wasn't annoyed enough about the fact that the BBC hadn't commissioned um, a northern soap. Um, I think that, you know, in all those years I've been putting up with EastEnders when I should have been demanding something set in Huddersfield instead. Um, surely,
0: surely, it is right for a W one A style sitcom about BBC staffers being forced to move from London to Birmingham culture clash I sitcom. I I'd, mean, right. I'd be up for that.
1: Searching in vain for an oak flat white, <laughs> 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 but actually, I know you can get them because you can get them at New Street Station. I go there regularly, so th- there's no there's no issue there. Everybody.
2: I thought I thought those those sort of soapy type announcements that did make me think. Uh, you know, BBC television is getting much older. Obviously, a lot more competition from from Netflix and, and Amazon type services. Uh trying to come up with more kind of tentpole returning programming that's kind of every week to get people to kind of watch linear television or to come back to iPlayer every week is probably sensible, if not a bit of a shame but is you know probably does make sense from a a commissioning standpoint
0: yeah I mean just final point on that actually Jane we've talked about why this makes sense in terms of the government but if we're going to try and make it a positive story it does make sense for the BBC to really state clearly to the nation this is how we're different from Netflix doesn't it you know Netflix can build a big studio in Elstree or whatever but they can't invest in Birmingham and Glasgow and you know, everywhere.
1: No, um, I'm just not sure that I could tell my kids that they must watch the BBC because it's investing in the regions. <laughs> Turn off Netflix. Come on. And I think, uh, can I just say, it is it is interesting? First of all, the obvious carp is the bosses never, never leave, never move, and you can't blame people people for making that point, but it is true, nevertheless. So I just want to say it. And also, why not actually? Never mind moving Radio Two. Why not actually just move Radio Four? Because they won't, will they? There are some things they'd never touch. Um, well, it is
0: quite so- a big deal to move today and in in PM yeah, a it's bit. It's not,
1: though, is it? Because you're just talking about, when I was on Five Live, we did OBs every five minutes.
0: Yeah. so all it is. And it is, is also the programme that a politician might go on and see where they are, <laughs>
1: I suppose. <laughs> yes, we are. I it's just, quite efficient from that point yes, of view. Um, yeah, anyway. Um,
0: all right, we will be back with some more media news after this. let's move on we're going to talk about social media now Um, and there's been a conclusion of sorts to uh, facebook's feud with news providers in australia Uh, they're now paying news Corp an undisclosed amount for its news content uh, Matt, News Corp have 70% of the Australian news market, so that has probably made uh, resolving this deal a little bit quicker than it would be if the same thing had played out here in the UK, hasn't it? What, what impact do you think this is going
2: to have? The fact that Rupert Murdoch's managed to shake down Facebook and Facebook have given in so they don't get shaken down by the Australian government, I think says more about media and politics than it does about what's good for news consumers. Uh, And I think the danger with this is um, every other country is going to look at it and and think the same. Um, It is not Facebook's fault that news hasn't devised a decent business model to support itself. Uh, And whilst there are a score of issues with social media and the bad it does in the world, um, you know, propping up particularly the Murdoch press, which which has its own dominance in, in Australia, shouldn't be one of its jobs.
0: Except it is kind of a rival internet now, Jane, which is part of Facebook's strategy, isn't it? It's to create a walled garden where you go for all your news. And so it is a monopoly in that sense. And so you kind of have to be on it. It isn't a choice as a news organisation. Can
1: I Can I speak up for the chunk of the population that has never, ever used Facebook for its news? I just want to say that I just couldn't think of anything I'd be less likely to do. But um I understand that there are a lot of people who do exactly that. Um I'm interested, you know, the, the whole idea of this the bargaining code, the imbalance between the two. I am I must be absolutely honest and say I need that fully explained to me. So as I see it, let's say it's News Corps in Australia, they produce the journalism, Facebook uses it, and then it that presumably then takes people, it drives people onto the websites. Of the newspapers, for example, briefly, potentially, Brief, okay, and briefly, and is that so? Is that the problem?
2: I think one of the the issues I don't necessarily agree agree with this is that the news the news operators say you know Facebook is taking most of the advertising, uh, and um, uh, and also controlling the tap of which sends people to their to their. Uh, destinations, uh, and so that imbalance should be one that uh Facebook sort of fund the destinations with um, but what facebook did when when faced with some more toughly worded legislation was they just turned off all news in Australia for ten days. Um, and i think that was a, a good thing to show okay if that's what if that's how you want to play it this is this is how it looks like actually the vast majority of people don't get their news from from facebook um and it's like eight makes up eight percent of the feeds or something like that they facebook themselves make no no money from news um because they're just linking out and also they provide a huge amount of traffic same with google and google news to the newspapers it's like well in in Google, you on any website, you can t- you can put on your website a little bit of code that says Google don't spider this or Facebook don't spider this, don't don't link to me, don't do anything. And anybody can activate that, any of the news operator can activate that.
0: No, but that's not the point the point that I was making about the Walled Garden is that if you're a publisher and you want eyeballs, if more people are spending more time in Facebook because it's an addictive product rather than being on the web at all, it's not that you don't want to be there it's that it doesn't make up for what you used to get of people going to your homepage back in the day. I mean, you're saying they should have come up with a rival business model, but it's difficult to imagine what it would be. You want to be in the place where people are and that's a private company.
2: Yeah, but I think a lot of destinations have a variety of of sort of social strategies and some some went in very hard with Facebook providing all their referrals and others built email newsletters or they built mobile apps or they... Built other other things like that so I don't think it is the only way um obviously it's very successful and you want to be on it but Facebook's juggling all the posts in the world from organizations your tennis club your friends your whatever they're never gonna satisfy everybody um they're and they can't they can't show all those posts to everybody all the time so you you can't have a, a, a frictionless yes you get everything that you're your the news provider that you've said follow on um no you won't get all that all that stuff do you think this will trickle
0: down jane uh, in terms of you know if you run a small website if you're a small publisher because it, it can just look like oh okay so there's been a fight for 10 years over this and Rupert Murdoch gets all the money <laughs> but hopefully the idea is it establishes a precedent and other people get the money
1: it would be interesting to see whether it does establish a precedent i'm i would lo- wouldn't you love to know the sum of money involved here i mean as Has there been a best guess? Does anybody know? It's
2: probably in the, um, they've said like a three-year deal. It's probably in the sort of 30 to 40 million Australian dollars, about 20 million quid, 20, 30 million quid, I think.
1: That doesn't strike me as, being very much
2: i don't think it's hundreds of millions the other thing is why don't governments just tax facebook and then if they want to create uh services to fund news then they do that and they can do that in a much more open and transparent way than making a press baron and a tech baron do a sort of under the table negotiation and this is this is one of the issues with obviously american tech firms is they don't they don't pay their their way
0: Global Media and Entertainment, the largest commercial radio group in the UK, Matt, want to invest in America in a big way. Tell us how.
2: So iHeartRadio is basically the global of America. It's what used to be called Clear Channel, own 800 odd radio stations. Someone once told me they never put how many radio stations they owned on their website because they were never entirely sure it's that sort of size. Um, And uh, yeah, they bought 8.6% of it. And then there's a slightly complex FCC thing that I try to understand. I'm still not entirely sure. I've got my head around. Uh, Basically, you have to inform the FCC if you're a foreign company that has a shareholding. And you can obviously do that each time you buy some shares. But if your plan is to kind of keep buying shares, that's a lot of admin. Now, normally, iHeart themselves on behalf of a new shareholder like Global would do that admin work for you. But they seem to have already got into a bit of a route. So Global have written to the FCC saying, we may buy up to 49.9% of iHeart of which they would be allowed to do under US legislation. Um, FYI, we're getting the approval now just in case we add some more shares. That's okay, isn't it? Send us a note to say that's okay.
0: So- but just, just, I mean, regardless of the machinations behind the scenes and how they might go about doing it and whether iHeartMedia know or don't know, how can Global afford that? They're a huge company, iHeartMedia, aren't they? And Global have just taken a huge hit presumably because they invested in outdoor advertising just before the pandemic hit. So, you know, this isn't the money that's coming from running capital and Radio X, is it? How are they affording this?
2: So, you have to remember that the the family that own Global, Global is merely one of their operations. So previously they owned a betting shops, which they sold. Um, they then used, but they kept hold of the online division, which obviously was totally the right thing to do and has made them a kajillion pounds. That's still own, owned by the family direct. They own that posh hotel that Simon Cowell always goes to in Barbados or wherever. Um, uh, and so their fingers are in lots of pie. So if, if they suddenly need a lot of money to do something, they very much have access to a lot of money.
0: I can't work out if it's good for British radio (laughs) that Global would buy a massive American group or bad.
1: It's it's, it's better to have them than them to have us. Yes, I would have thought so too. Does it mean Nick Ferrari is going to LA?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, does it mean that they might implement the strategy that they had here? I mean, there's, there's a bad history of British companies trying to repeat British successes in the States, obviously. But I mean, what they've done here is consolidate all the networks under one name. I mean, the States is full of, you know, W-K-Y-N and Z-X, whatever. It'd be weird if they did that.
2: It's very strange. There are very few national brands in American radio. And I was looking at this the other day, and um, I think there's basically a sort of a religious national brand, and then there's a little bit of sort of 20 station networks under a similar name. So they don't really have that heart capital thing. So I think there's definitely... From a marketing perspective, you just looked at the opportunity, of course, having some national radio brands could be a thing. But I think the opportunity is really around digital audio and scale. So, you know, iHeart, biggest operator, reaches a lot of people iHeartRadio platform, app, and associated podcasts, all that kind of stuff is quite large. In the UK, they own DAX, which does something similar. Um, If you think the next stage of radio and audio is gonna be a lot of online consumption, of podcasts and of streaming, owning that content and infrastructure is probably a good thing. And in the next 20 years, where it's still going to make loads of money, owning the radio stations isn't, isn't a bad investment too.
0: Okay. And Matt, another uh, story that I saw you write about in your newsletter, you're welcome for the plug, uh, is that Apple Podcasts are about to change the term subscribe in the next iOS update to the word follow. What's the thinking there?
2: Spotify has follow. Amazon Music has Follow. That's what you do if you're listening to a podcast and you want it to appear in your feed. But obviously, the dominant platform has always been uh, Apple Podcasts with Subscribe. And I think on BBC Sounds, it's Subscribe as well. Um, and the reason that word exists is a, long, it's a techie reason. And uh, uh, Computers subscribed to RSS feeds if they wanted to ingest news back in the 90s. Uh, and then when RSS ended up being the way to distribute podcasts, we all used the word subscribe because it was the word uh, without you know checking the, whether consumers understood what that meant. And a lot of people see the word subscribe and assume it costs some money.
0: So this is just kind of semantics then. It's a bit like when Facebook changed its status update prompt to what's on your mind. It's just based on research, is it? It's
2: partly that. But the other the other element is... It is an expectation that this year, Apple will introduce the opportunity to pay for certain podcasts. Ah, subscribing, so, in other words. Yes. Okay. So that they, they, they want to separate that because as, as they bring this new product out and they, they've removed some things like listen to all this audio for free, that's all gone from their website. So I think they're. this is in prep for that. And also, actually, I think for the sector as a whole, it's it's... it's Good that everyone's harmonised. Follow is something that people understand from social media. Um, I think it does it does sort of fit. They could have maybe talked about doing this before. Or they haven't even announced they're doing this, but people have seen it in the the early update of the, of the app.
0: That's an interesting point, isn't it, Jane? Like the, the, these updates are sort of decreed from on high at Infinite Loop, and podcasters like you and I just then have to change our vocabulary. We have to tell our listeners to follow us rather than subscribe us without being consulted at all.
1: I think it's long overdue. I had no idea where the word subscribe had come from in this context. No idea at all. So I have actually been enlightened by you both. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and actually, it doesn't make any sense. And it does suggest you've got to part with cash. And what's the percentage of people who listen to podcasts in Britain now? It's less, still less than 20%, isn't it? So, you know, I, I don't, how much is, I'm sure it's grown, but it's still a tiny number. And if we can do anything to make Some podcasting... Like my bank manager. More popular, <laughs> more popular. Then good. Let's go for it. I'm all for plain speaking and making everything accessible. I mean, I, to an extent,
0: I wonder if it's about a slightly older demographic. I'm trying to put this delicately. Jane, have you encountered people who are perhaps over fifty who struggle with podcasts for this kind of reason?
1: Yeah, I do actually. You, you've yes, I've got to be honest about that. I do occasionally come across people who don't get it because, but they just it's so important to remind all of ourselves that there are still some people who don't really use their smartphone very effectively and have absolutely no idea how to get hold of the podcast app. Uh, BBC Sounds is a world that's utterly unknown to them. Of course, I love podcasts. We all love podcasts. But, you know, we make the bloody things. Um, It's it's I, I think it's a real shame that the message hasn't really got out there in quite the way it could have done, should have done. So this, I think, might go some way to helping. But I'd love to know more about Apple's plans then. Are they, are they coming up with a host of sort of um, top quality material that's going to be paid for?
2: Being Apple, no one really knows until somebody in a in a black outfit releases it on a stage in, in Cupertino in, in a few months' time. But what's likely to happen is that podcasters themselves will be able to Opt into a subscription package. So um, there's a view that it will either be sort of like Apple Podcast Plus, you pay a tenner, you get access to a load of premium stuff. Or um, individual podcasts can go, it's three ninety nine. you get one free one a month, but the other three are behind my little mini paywall. And obviously, Apple will take a third of that money like they do with all their apps and, and other things. But Spotify, in, in their announcements earlier this year, basically said the same thing. So um, they too are going to allow a, a mixed economy where you can have all free, a bit of free, and then pay at some different levels. Yes, and does
0: actually complicate things further. I mean, you know, this is supposed to be simplifying things, but what you've just explained is difficult for us to understand. So if you're new to podcasts, then having a paid-for channel as well is... How do you explain what that is to someone?
2: Obviously, people are a bit more used to paying for content because of the sort of Netflixization of telly and and that side. And I think people will understand... That some stuff is available on free platforms and, and and some is pay, and I think if the apps make that easy, and obviously the great thing is you have the shows. So if fortunately massively you know, jump, you took it away from the BBC and you made it three ninety nine a month, um, you would communicate that to your listeners and say hey, and you'd explain it, and they'd obviously start to understand it, and you've got that relationship where it would um, hopefully convert.
0: Um- Now, since we were last on air, (laughs) there was a certain interview between Oprah and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I seem to recall that happened. Uh, And the next day, Piers Morgan stormed off Good Morning Britain is this hazing back interview now. It's been very, very faintly reported. (laughs) Uh, His rant, Jane, on GMB has now led to the largest number of complaints ever received by Ofcom, 57,121. Do you think all those people were watching ITV at the time? And does that matter?
1: I venture to suggest some of them may have hopped on board that bandwagon. Um, I also understand that is it almost a quarter of a million people have signed a petition wanting him back. So um, make of all that what you will. I didn't see it live. I have obviously seen it since. I've watched Alex Beresford a number of times, um, giving it everything. And I, I agree with it, by the way. It was great. Um where does it all all leave us? And actually, is Good Morning Britain better without him? And I'm really interested in what happens and who they replace him with, or even if they decide not to replace him. Do they actually need a Marmite figure of that sort at the centre of a programme like that, which is set out deliberately to be more, something more than BBC Breakfast, which is a much more collegiate, you could say rather gentler form of the same thing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Matt? Because, I mean, Piers Morgan was brought in because it wasn't working with Ben Shepherd and Susanna Reid. So it'd be a bit weird to go back to Ben Shepherd being the main male co-anchor. But what's happened since is everyone else has kind of raised their game. So you have a whole load of people on that show, uh, Ramveer and Kate Garraway and, you know, even Alex Beresford, who actually are quite capable of sitting in that seat. They're just different. So, do you bring in someone else, or do you just leave it as it
2: is? I mean, if you flash back to when they sort of updated from GMTV or whatever, and said the weather person will tackle the main anchor on air on a massive subject, and the main anchor will walk out, you'd be a bit surprised. Um So, uh I, I think with Piers Morgan, you know, he, he knows what he's doing, and he knows that at some point it's going to catch him out, and this time it's it, it it caught him out slightly. I mean, I think they're. They're probably in a better position now than they were pre-Piers Morgan, but they are stuck with an identity problem, aren't they, of, of, of how they... Um, it's not really recreatable, so they have to sort of evolve the format to do something slightly slightly different.
0: I mean, the whole thing, Jane, does look sexier, doesn't it? It looks bigger than BBC Breakfast. They've achieved that. And, you know, that was the fight, wasn't it, from the days of Alad and Lorraine sitting on Daybreak. They have managed to make something that feels like an event.
1: Totally. When you actually look at the people watching Breakfast telly, it remains i think the total breakfast television audience is still less than four million or something isn't it It isn't actually that many people to see the coverage on social media of both programs to give them their due you think that all all of us were sitting there glued to breakfast telly at half past seven in the morning but i'd forget it's on until i see it on twitter later um you know it, it is extraordinary um what I I'm, I am very interested in what in what happens. I can't remember what your question was, but I am very interested in what happens now and which way, which way they go with GMB. Who, who could they put on to be? Because I think Susanna's really good, and I think she's probably it's probably been a very difficult position for her with working alongside this gigantic ego and presence. And
2: with her, what was amazing were her her sort of. A- apology slash here's what happened the next day when he'd, he'd quit. It was almost a word-for-word word duplicate of the, the Apple TV The Morning Show when her, her co-host got bumped off. So I think they've just cribbed this. We'll just read that out. That seemed to be pretty good.
1: The thing about Piers Morgan is he's made his point because his his intention was always to get a bigger audience than breakfast on mm. BBC and I think they just did, he did it. On
2: that so uh, he's got yeah. a
1: cracking I'm sure he's got a number of cracking book deals lined up. And, well, um, and
0: where's he going? So is he going to GB News or is he going to News UK because that would be a story wouldn't it they've been gunning for him since he was the editor of the Mirror
1: well wouldn't that be that would be the perfect conclusion to the Piers Morgan career trajectory, wouldn't it? If he if he does end up there, I suppose.
2: I think he's closer to the the News UK end, and proximity to Murdoch will excite him and all of that stuff. The problem with the News UK operation is it looks to be much smaller in scale than what GB News are planning. I think they're both going to be disasters, but the um, at least the GB News one is. A channel on all the platforms that you can watch and there seems to be some decent cash into it. Uh, the News UK affair seems a little, a little muted and I can't see Piers wanting to be on the little muted affair. Uh, but whether he wants to do, you know, a show that pretty much no one will watch on, uh, on GB News, it, that doesn't fit his ego either
0: well i'd stick him on lbc if i was running lbc i'd give him whatever he wanted to do that but then i wonder if his ego just means he wants to be on telly even if no one's watching i think he,
2: i think he wants to be talked about uh i think the money's probably less important but you know what doing a, a, a daily show on, on, on lbc's like you know it's a tough it's a tough slog i mean he only did three days a week on on gmb and that's you know Prime ITV uh, real estate.
0: Uh, Staying with the Harry and Meghan fallout and the uh, Society of Editors rather imploded last week after its chair, uh, well, now former chair, Ian Murray, claimed that the attacks on the British press were, quote, not acceptable after pressure from the board and nominees to their forthcoming awards. What should he have said that was different to what he did say?
1: Well, I I just thought for him to make some sort of, it was absurd, this blanket refusal to acknowledge that there was any racism. I mean, it was farcical. Um, I don't know the man, but what on earth made him say that? I do I do not know. But what's the um, subtle
0: difference? Could he have said, in my view, the majority of our members are not motivated by bigotry? I mean, that would be open to more problems, wouldn't no, it?
1: No, but uh, I think you you could just simply acknowledge clearly we all uh, all, let's face it, all white people have got work to do when it comes to racism. I think you just acknowledge it. You just say it. Um, and you may like or passionately dislike Meghan, but to suggest that she has not been the victim of both racism and misogyny is just it's a joke. You've absolutely got got to acknowledge both of those two things, I think.
0: I suppose maybe part of what was motivating the statement, Matt, is actually similar to what Piers Morgan was saying on that last appearance of on Good Morning Britain, which is when he said, Look, I've been a tabloid editor. The clippings that Oprah showed on that programme were selective and I could build up exactly the same portrait of of Kate, of the Duchess of Cambridge. I could say, look, here's a, here's a report where they said one week she's great and the next week she isn't. So of course you can do that with thousands of, of examples and a, a diligent researcher. But that's not proof of institutional racism. That's a step too far. That's just the way the press is. And I suppose the the Society of Editors' view may have been, well, there were a lot of American outlets being quoted. You can't tar every paper with the same brush. You can't selectively cull bits from online and say this is their agenda. I mean, that's kind of what he was trying to say maybe
2: i imagine what happened was number one membership organizations the chief executive does not go out and make a strong statement like this without checking it with somebody there's obviously some steering group that are probably on the grump the the grumpier grumblier editors and you know if the telegraph and the mail are on that and they say go out you say you know you say this we've got to we've got to say that the the press is good and you know not taking any of this rubbish pushed him out to say it he's he knows he's on a sticky wicket and the interview he did on on bbc news channel he'd sort of gradually crumbled under and then was forced to to fall fall on his sword when all the obvious things then happened and you know the press is less aligned than just just as unaligned as everybody else is so i don't for for at all, imagine it was his view. I imagine it was the view of quite a few of the people who paid his wages.
0: I wonder if the problem, Jane, is like a lot of journalists and editors look around their newsrooms and they think, well, I know these people. They're good people. They're not racists. Therefore, the organisation isn't bigoted. But at the same time, because they're creating content online to appeal to people that will click through and some of the public are racist, <laughs> you know, you end up in a situation where you are... Dog whistling to racists while perhaps being able to think yourself not racist, you're just making a product that the public want.
1: I think you've said it. I think that's it. Um, and do I? can I honestly say hand on heart that I don't read some of those articles and that I don't enjoy them sometimes? And it's a horrible wor- word in this, this context, but I think I'm just being honest. Um, the tabloids, and I do read the tabloids every day, they know their audience. That's why they... I know it's hard for them because they're not selling as many copies as they used to. But, you know, you're absolutely right.
0: Well, I guess going back to phone and radio, it's that thing of keywords, isn't it? People have a reaction to the word Muslim. They have a reaction to the word Israel. So you put that in the question that you're asking. It doesn't make you bigoted. It means that you are asking bigots to call in
2: and put a point of view so that you can have a
1: debate. Uh, yeah, and you can pay your wages and keep your job.
2: You I know. think also on the digital side, you have 48 articles in 24 hours on one of the publications that might have been might be been the express, you know, that's basically running 48 simultaneous AB tests on every version in a headline of, we hate her. We like her. She's great. She's rubbish. Um, just to try and appeal to different algorithms, isn't it? And it's all dreadful. Uh, and uh, that would happen less and people would have some further questions about that. If newsrooms were more diverse and, and, and the people in charge of those newsrooms were more diverse as well.
1: What did you I mean, I don't know the the Oprah interview. Um it it was a very a, a very Oprah display of Oprah because uh, that's what she's she's brilliant at. I was a bit there didn't maybe it was left on the cutting room floor but she didn't ask or not in the version we saw about Prince Andrew. And I just thought why why not?
0: It seemed to me that that made it unlikely what she said at the beginning that nothing had been vetted in advance I mean that was their claim and and Megan agreed to that on screen didn't she but I mean surely someone said look just don't ask about that you can do it but don't ask about that I mean because you would wouldn't you I mean it's yeah yeah anyone would like a trainee reporter would
1: (laughs) yes anyway we'll have to leave that one it's just a
2: big great big question mark Ollie, when she's on the media podcast next time, Oprah, you can ask
0: Oh, I thought you meant Megan promoting her Spotify series. (laughs) We've got a full roster, so uh, you're on that day. Um, I have to tell her her (laughs) she can't. Uh, All of which, you'll be thrilled to know, brings us to the incomparable, possibly incomprehensible media quiz. Uh, This week, it is entitled, There He Goes! I will read you excerpts from three media stories this week in the style of dearly departed F1 commentator Murray Walker. All you have to do is guess what the media story is, despite my impression. Uh, You're buzzing with your names when you know the answer, so Matt, you will say... Matt. And Jane, you will say... Uh, Jane. It's best of three, so here we go. Story number one. Entertainment isn't one of the reasons why people should be having these dangerously invasive species
2: at all. Uh, Matt. Matt. Um... There was some cray, Was it crayfish-related issue? With yes. Oh, I'm a celebrity. I'm a celebrity. That's right. They, they bought in a I'm load. They that the in word a load. crayfish
0: came to you first
2: before yeah, the. But brand. There, there was some. I'm never sure. Is a crayfish a fish? Is it a bug? Is it?
0: Th- this is not the place to discuss whether crayfish is a fish. Sorry. The story is that the I'm a Celebrity production team quote brought invasive crayfish to Wales without a license, according to an investigation by the Bug Life Conservation Charity. I will give you the point. Here's story number two. I've been against racism in all forms, so I'm terminating my contract with Sterling Publishing with immediate
1: effect! Oh, Jane. Jane. Julie Birchall.
0: That was Murray Walker, channelling Julie Birchall.
1: <laughs> Not something I ever thought I'd hear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who cancelled her second attempt at a book publishing deal after the owner was linked to far-right groups. Uh, the first publisher dropped Birchall. Here's the tie-break. If kids are going around on hoverboards in ten years' time, Dennis will definitely have one! Jane. Jane. Something
1: to do with the Bino. Uh,
0: can I give you a point for that? I mean, you're right. Can you give us any more?
1: Uh, it's, it's the anniversary of the Bino.
0: Yes. Well, and... it's the 70th birthday of Dennis the Menace. I'll okay. give you the point.
1: Dennis the Menace. And um, this was somebody from the Beano saying that Dennis would still be a child and would... Have all the he'd have his own avatar or whatever will be happening a decade from now. Yeah,
0: close enough. Uh, Mike Sterling, editorial director of Bino Studios, there being channeled by my impression of Murray Walker, and that means Jane that you are the winner of the media quiz. Congratulations! Well,
1: that's the first for me, so I knew there'd be something good that would come out of <laughs> today.
0: have ended the week on a high. Um, Thank you very much to both of you, Matt Deegan and Jane Garvey. That is it for our show for today. Uh, The Media Podcast is totally independent, so if you can afford to do so, why not bung us the price of a coffee if you have enjoyed the show? Uh, There is a link to do that in our show notes. And, of course, subscribe uh, or follow as we're supposed to say now uh, to hear new episodes of the show when they drop we've got a few new things planned for the months ahead so you can discover them first for free when you subscribe i mean follow do it now i've been ollie mann the producers matt hill and peter price it is a rethink audio and ppm production we'll see you in two weeks time bye planning for your next trip